The following is a sermon from the church at Cherrydale in Greenville, South Carolina. To learn more, visit us at tccherrydale.com. Typically, around this time, we do a missions moment. But what I wanted to do is to, to highlight the, the mission of God that's been working in my life through the local church and just tell you a little bit about myself and, and what God's been doing. My name is Jason Stuckey. I am a pastoral resident here at the church at Cherrydale where I get the opportunity to work under the pastors and help them to think through some strategic ways in which we can do city missions in the city of Greenville. And a lot of what I, I get to do, it sounds technical, but really what we try to do in our, in our neighborhoods here is we try to let the people of Greenville and particularly Cherrydale know that they have a seat at God's table. Because that's what our, our church is about. Our church is about multiplying disciples to the glory of God. Me, I, I am uh, I'm, I'm married to my best friend, Melissa. I, where is she at? She's got, she's got to wave her hand. I'm married to my best friend, Melissa, and we have, we counted a privilege to be a part of this church and to serve. We have zero kids, and we just got one cute little puppy named Cannon, who is full of energy. So if you want to come over and play with her, please wear her out, because I don't get any sleep anymore. <laughs> but it is an honor and a privilege to be here today. Uh, our trajectory as, as we go from this next year is to be sent out next spring to, to plant a church in the Chicago area. And the reason why I'm here is not, is not because of my story, what I've done, because honestly, if I were to show all my cards, there's no reason why I should be standing up here on this stage at all. See, my story didn't come from a long lineage of people who, who were pastors and theologians. My parents didn't grow up in the church and, and raise me up in that way. My, my, my mom and dad divorced when I was three years old. My father, was a, he was a drug addict. I, I, I didn't grow up around the church. It wasn't anything that I had done, but God used people like you who are sitting in these seats to invest in my life. God, I remember uh, growing up, and I liked basketball, and there was a basketball ministry at, my, at the church that I ended up going to. And I said, man, I want to go and, and play basketball there. And then it was there that I saw the love of God and the, the coaches that I had, which is why I do have a special place in my heart for the ministry that the child's lead every summer when they invite kids from the community to play basketball because I, that's very much a part of my story of the local church extending their hands out and saying, hey, there's a place for you at the table. And then from their testimonies, I said, mom, let's go to the church. I like it. It's fun. And for my Sunday school teachers, when I, when I heard them talk about the Bible, it was as if they actually read it more than once a week or, or, or Wednesdays and Sundays. It's like they read it every day and they were in love with it. And when they prayed for family members who were sick and family members who were, who were going through hard times, they, they didn't pray for just healing. They prayed that they would come to know the living God. And when I heard their testimonies as a as a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, I said, I want that Jesus that they're talking about. And from God's gracious working through the local church, I became a follower of Christ. I was no longer a statistic. I wasn't saved by education or sports. I was saved by the grace of God working through his people. 
Now I stand before you. I went to North Greenville and, and got to meet some students who really fell in love with the local church and helped me to see the importance of it. And I stand before you today because the peop very people in this room invested in my life as a college student. Invested in my, my life and my wife's lives as college graduates trying to figure out what it looks like to try to get married <laughs> and to, to try to serve in the local church outside of uh, the college realm. From the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you to every last one of you for investing in my life. Because I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you being faithful to love, to love leaders, young leaders like me. Now, if you're in this room today and uh, you, you're, you're kind of doubting the local church, doubting uh, whether or not it's relevant, you don't really believe that the gospel might be true, I pray that through my testimony, this missions moment, my testimony that you would see that God is alive and well. And you can see that through every last one of these faces in this room. And there is a room for you at the table so that you can join in in the mission of God. And before we get started, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Father, we are so thankful that when we say, God, be my everything, be my delight, we're not just singing to nothingness, but we're singing to someone who actually can be those things. We're singing to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We're singing to the one who gives us our next breath. I pray that this morning as I share from your word, I pray that people would, would not hear from me. They wouldn't hear from the band. They wouldn't hear from the other pastors that are here. But they would hear the voice of our King that they would go away convicted by their sin and their, the way they fall short, but God so encouraged by the Savior that has come to make them whole and to give them purpose and to join, allow, allow them to join in on the mission. So God, speak to me and through me in this time. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 13. But I'm going to show you my cards. Can you hear me? Can you guys hear me all right? Sorry. I'm going to show you my cards and give you the main point of my sermon so that you can absolutely positively know this is what Jason was trying to get at, okay? So the, the main point of my sermon is God's Spirit sets apart those that He sends. God's Spirit sets apart those that He sends. And and particularly what we're going to find out that he, he does that through the context of the local church as I shared with you my testimony. Now the idea of, of, setting, of sending is, is pretty, it's pretty easy to grasp. Like I, I send you here, I send you there. My example is every Thanksgiving around, around the day before Thanksgiving, my, my in-laws, my, my sister-in-laws and my, my, my wife, they're always cooking something and it's a glorious meal, glorious. I, I, I dream of it every day after Thanksgiving. Can we have some more? And as they're cooking, there's inevitably maybe one, two, or 3,000 things that they need from Walmart that I, I happily go and get. Uh, me and the people in Walmart at Greenwood, South Carolina are 
kind of best friends now. They know, oh, Jason, Jason's going to come up. It's Thanksgiving time. But the mission is they, they send me to the grocery store to get the item so that the food can be cooked and we can enjoy. So that idea of sending is, is fairly easy. It's in our vocabulary to think about. But this idea of being set apart, I, I don't ever hear my mother-in-law saying, I'm going to set you apart to send you to the, no, we don't hear that kind of language. But to be set apart is to be set apart for a specific, a special purpose for a special mission. Well, the example that I had for that is something that's near to my heart. I've, I've spoken about it, is basketball. Uh, if, if you have been in America for at least the past four to eight years, you've, you've heard of the Summer Olympic Games. And in 1992, the Summer Olympic Games was particularly more epic because we as a country had assembled probably one of the greatest basketball teams known in, in world history. Uh, and they were called the Dream Team. It was the likes of Patrick Ewing, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, and none other than Michael Jeffrey Jordan, the real GOAT, I might add. Don't, forget about LeBron. Michael Jordan's the GOAT. <laughs> so when we, when we look at these players, they were assembled, and when they played, they were sent out by the U.S. with a mission to win gold medals. And you kind of understood that when they played, they didn't win by five or ten points. They wiped the floor with their competition. They were players who were set apart from all the rest. They were set apart by the U.S. to win gold medals, to win glory to the country of USA, and they did it. They fulfilled their mission. But as we think about the idea of being set apart in the economy of God, it's altogether different. It's as if God turns it on its head, and he doesn't choose the best and the brightest athletes to be the ones that he says are set apart. It seems as if he chooses the most unlikely of people to be set apart, and he chooses the most unlikely of people to be sent. And I'm going to read this out to you in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, 20, or chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has given, has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Jesus Christ, who became wisdom for God, for our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that it is written, let no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God uses the most unlikely of people. God is, God's spirit is the one who sets apart and sins. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal people, a holy nation, a set-apart nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of him, the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And here again, he chooses the nobodies. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. God's spirit 
sets apart those that he sends. Now let's get to our main passage. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, here's here's what the, the author reads or writes. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they, led their, they laid their hands on him or them and sent them off. Now, as we read this short passage, it's, it's really easy for us to say, well, that was really quick. Like, why did they give you these three verses to preach from? Like, it's really easy to say, let's, let's skip over this. Let's get to the fun part where you hear about Saul and Barnabas sharing the gospel and all this drama is happening because all the, all the leaders of the day are, they, they are trying to oppose the gospel. The, but to, let's hear about the triumph of the gospel in the midst of opposition. Now, while it may be easy to skip over this passage of scripture, I would argue that in this brief snapshot, we see a pivotal moment that both furthers the mission of God in the story and informs the mission of God in our missionary story and the life of the Church of Cherrydale. So before we quickly skip over these verses, let's take a, a closer look at the characters of the story. So who are the characters? We, uh, we see first off uh, that the, the first character is this umbrella of the church at Antioch. Now as Josh read earlier in Acts 11, we see that how the church at Antioch came to be was basically there was persecution within the church. And when persecution happened, they thought they were going to stamp out the church, that it was going to be over. But as this persecution happened, the church began to scatter. And last week, Brandon did a really good job at showing us the different places that they scattered and how they were all over the map. And as Josh read for you in Acts chapter 11, people were sharing the gospel as they went. But the thing was, they were sharing the gospel with just Jews. And then God used some no-name people to go and say, let's go to Antioch and share with the Greeks and praise God that his spirit was at work because as they shared the gospel, people came to know Jesus and their lives were transformed. So much to the point to where news reached all the way back to Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas saying, hey, we hear that these guys are becoming Christians. We got to figure out what's going on. You go and check it out. And when Barnabas gets there, it says that he is a man who is full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and when he sees what's happening, he says, man, he sees the grace of God. He sees God's spirit at work. And he gets so excited that he says, man, continue what you're doing. Hold off a second. I'm going to go get my my boy Saul, and he's going to, we're going to hang out with you guys for a year, and we're going to share with you the goodness of what God has done in our life. And they stay there for a whole year, and they are raised up as a congregation. Now, during that year, there's some really cool things that have been happening among the congregation. During that year, the persecution from Herod the Great or Herod Agrippa, he had died. So he's, he's out of the picture and the church is booming. Now, as we, as we see this first 
character of the church at Antioch. It's going to kind of help us to, to see the umbrella of the church. Now, through this church, we see some really, really cool things. We see that though that there was extreme, extreme persecution, God brought, brought about probably one of the most diverse churches in the landscape, doing things that you would never see happening normally. And we see this in our second character. We see this diversity. We see in the prophets and teachers, who's our second character. And in these prophets and teachers, I, I've listed up here uh, their names and then also uh, where they're from or their backgrounds. And we see that we have Barnabas, who was a Levite Jew. We have Simeon, who is also called Niger, which means darker skin, who's most likely from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene, who is also most likely from Africa. And then we have Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So when we think about close friend, I want you to think, when I was reading the commentaries, it was more like, like a stepbrother, like another brother. And he was raised up in the same regime that was sent out to kill Christians and persecute them. Just think about him being in, in the leadership of your church. And then we have, lastly, but... Saul of Tarsus, who we know a lot about him. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was a, against the way. And it, it caused you, causes us to beg the question of how in the world, how is this possible that the most unlikely of people to even be friends are leading one of the most dynamic and diverse churches in, in the known world? I mean, we can even ask ourselves that question about TCC. I mean, our pastors... The color of their skin is not different, but they could not be more different than one another. Amen? <laughs> they could not be more different than one another. And we would say, how in the world are they leading this church in all these incredible things that are happening? And the answer to that question is the third character who is the main character of the story, the Holy Spirit. See, without the Holy Spirit, without the presence of God working in our missionary story, nothing works. The mission does not go on. There's no unity. There's, there's, there's no way that people who are seemingly different from one another could ever do anything that's eternal. And we see this, this idea throughout the Old Testament, and particularly we see this in Exodus uh, chapter 33. I'll give you a background as to what's happening. Uh, the people of God have been set free from, from Egypt out of slavery. And as they're set free out of slavery, they're wandering the wilderness and they're headed to the promised land. As a little kid, I always remembered it as the land flowing with milk and honey. And as they were headed to the promised land, they're getting frustrated, they're getting tired, as we all do with the mission of God when we go through seasons of life. Moses is meeting with God, getting instructions on how the people are to be set apart so that they can be sent, so that they can be a, a picture to the world of who God is. And as he's meeting with God, the people decide to make their own idols. They get their, their earrings, the gold earrings, they make a golden calf and start worshiping it. Moses comes down and sees what's going on, and he's saying, what in the world are you doing? He reprimands the people. He... They are, they're fearful because of what the Lord might do to them. Moses intercedes, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing all of this. Moses intercedes for the people, and God says to Moses, 
He says, you know what? You, you guys are stiff-necked people. You are stubborn. You, you don't listen to my commands. So, but I'm going to keep my promise. I said I'm going to let you go to the promised land. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the angel of the Lord before you. And he's going to wipe out your enemies. I'm going to give you the promised land. And I'm not going to destroy you. Because if I go with you, I might destroy you. And God gives, God gives the people of God the promises that he gave them. And he, des- he says he's not going to destroy them. It's just he's not going to go with them. And you think to yourself, that, that seems pretty cool. I mean, they're going to get their enemies wiped out. They're going to get their promised land. They're not going to get destroyed. But Moses helps us to see the vital importance of the presence of God among the people of God. He says in verse 12, if your presence does not go, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people of the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. You see, what gives purpose and power to the mission of God's people is the presence of his Holy Spirit working among them. God's Spirit sets apart those that he sends. We see this in, in Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 19, or 18 through 20. It says, all, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And get this, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. That's what marks the people of God. That's what sets them apart is his Holy Spirit. God's Spirit sets apart those that he sends. So we've seen the characters of this story. Now we have to ask a practical question of how do we see the Spirit's work in this story how do we see God working in this story and how do we see God working in our story now like I said the background to this story is that King Herod has died the church in Antioch is booming is doing great and then we have the leaders of the church and it says here while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the first thing that we see God's Spirit doing is God's Spirit calls his people to worship. He calls his people to to stop what they're doing and to worship him in spirit and truth. And we see even when they worship and they pray, it was always coupled with fasting. See, as the prophets and teachers worshiped and fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke. So for us as a people, we are to slow down and actually recognize when God is doing something, to give him honor and glory and, and worship him and, the, and acknowledge him in the things that we're doing every day. And then especially setting aside time to truly worship him by being in his word, hearing what he has to say, by abstaining from 
whatever, Instagram, abstaining from food, abstaining from whatever would be a distraction so that we can hear the Spirit's voice. God's Spirit calls His people to worship. Number two, we see that as they, as they worship and fasted, and then God spoke to them and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them, we see that God clarifies his plan through prayer. Now, it, it would be really easy for, for the, the people of God in this context to, to say, well, like, all right, God, we're going to seek your face, we're going to worship you, we're going to fast, and we're going we're to see what you have to say. And then when he says, all right, I want to take away the two guys that have been used to really bless your congregation. I want to take away these people and send them off on a specific mission that has nothing to be in your context. It's really easy to, to hear them praying, well, God, we hear what you're saying, but can you please send someone else? It's really hard for us to send those type of people who have really been a blessing to our congregation. But I don't think that was the prayer and the fasting that was happening among the, the people of God, and that should happen among us. When we, when we pray for clarification, I want us to try to think through this, this quote that I had uh, found by A.W. Tozer about prayer. It says, prayer is not intended to overcome God and move his arm. God will never be other than himself. No matter how many people pray, no matter how long, nor how earnestly. God's love desires the best for us all, and he desires to give us the best at any cost. He will open rivers and desert places, still turbulent waves, quiet the wind, bring water from the rock, send an angel to release an apostle from prison, feed an orphanage, open a land long close to the gospel, all these things and a thousand more and a thousand others he has done and will do in answer to prayer, but only, only because it had been his will to do it from the beginning. No one persuades him. What the praying man or woman does is to bring his will in line with the will of God so God can do what he has all along been willing to do. Thus, prayer changes the man and enables God to change things in answer to the man's prayer. So as we think through that, God, when we come to him for a clarifying, or, or who's being sent, or is it me that's being sent, or where are you sending me? It's God really working in our hearts through prayer to reveal his will and to change our hearts, and not for us to change his mind. So as we see God speaking specifically through prayer, we have to ask the question of, all right, so like, who, who's going to send Saul and, Bar and Barnabas? Who is the one who sends, it, who sends them? And as we read the text, it clearly says that God speaks to the church and says, I want you to set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. I want you to send them out. So the, the last point of what we see 
of God's Spirit doing. We see that God's Spirit sets apart and sends and praise God, it gives us purpose because he sends through the context of the local church. It's, it's really easy for us to think that this missionary endeavor, our personal missionary endeavors, or even uh, missions agencies, they're, they're the ones that are going to do the thing, or the, the, the one who's gung-ho about missions, they're going to do the thing, they're going to send themselves out. But that's not at all how God designed it. He designed us in community, and he designed us to be able to be a part of his mission, and he, and he primarily does that through the local church. Now, get, now, church, that is a gracious gift because he does not need us to send people out. But he wants to use people like you, people like me, people like the, the people that raised me up in my, my church that I became a Christian. He wants to use you to further the mission of God. So the question uh, that we should ask ourselves, and what does that mean for, for me personally? What does that mean for you personally as one who may be sent? See, the reality is whether you're being sent across the world, across the country, across the street, you have been set apart and sent by God. And the mission of God is not optional. It's a necessity. It's the reason why you were set apart. So when we leave this congregation this morning and we go and get lunch, as we go to our workplaces, as we go and, and hang out at CrossFit or whatever you guys do, you are being sent as a missionary to carry the name of Jesus and his gospel just like Saul and Barnabas and you're being sent as a people who have been set apart by the Holy Spirit the, the living God so that's what it means for you the church is sending you out the elders are sending you out the leaders are sending you out physically to go but then we have to ask the question what does that mean for our congregation what does that look like for TCC to model what has happened in the story uh, of the, the Antioch church with Saul and Barnabas. What, what is our responsibility? Number one, our responsibility is to identify who God is sending. If you don't know who God is sending out from TCC, don't, don't cower in shame and say, man, I didn't even know who Jason Stuckey was. I didn't know he was going to. Don't cower in shame. You have a great resource, and there are six elders here who know what God is doing because they have been very much worshiping and fasting and praying on behalf of our church and investing in leaders like me, having lunch conversations, and they have heard the story of plenty of men and women. So if you don't know who God is sending, ask our pastors who have been praying and fasting on our behalf. And if, you, and if you're too afraid to ask the pastors, you can look on the website and look at our pastoral residents, however many, it's like a whole bunch of them here at TCC. You can look them up and say, all right, I got a name with the face. And once you've identified them, get to know their story. Take them out to lunch. If you find out they're in your small group, 
get them to share their testimony of what God is doing in their lives. Identify who God is sending. Number two, your, our responsibility as a church is to pray and to fast. Make a daily practice for praying, of praying and fasting for those God is sending. So once you know their stories, pray earnest, earnestly for them. They're not superstar Christians. They need you. They need your prayers. I had so many people telling me that they were praying for me this week, and you don't know how much that meant to me. Because I knew that you guys were going before the Lord. And there's so many people, it was almost as if I didn't have any last minute sermon prep because so many people say, hey, let me pray for you, Jason. We're going we're gonna to lay hands on you. And I'd much rather have that over and over and over again, knowing that people are invested and they know what's going on. So pray and fast. Set aside times where you get rid of social media or you don't eat and for the sake of praying and fasting on behalf of those who are being sent. And pray, pray, pray for where they're being sent. We got people who are in Salt Lake City, the Davises, or the Gomers who are in, who are in Arizona. Or we think about Jill and Ali John in Turkey. Or we have so many people who are on short-term mission trips even now that are being sent out. Pray for them and pray for where they're at that God would work. Number three, invest in the sending mission of the church. We've made it fairly easy for you to do that in some strategic ways. Many of you have heard about the One Mission Fund. Give to the One Mission Fund. I am a recipient of that One Mission Fund. I will be blessed by that because you have given of your money to, to love and to send us out well. But even more so than just giving, go on a short-term missions trip. Go... Go to the places that God is, is working. Go there. Take, take some, time, some vacation time and go on those trips. And we have plenty of those that we hold up before the congregation so that they can be invested in the sending mission of the church. And lastly, before we close, partner with those who are being sent. Don't just partner with them and give them a high five on the, on the way out. It's like, yeah, you're doing a great job. We're excited about the mission. But, hey, join, help out with the college crew. Help, help Hugh out. There's so many, so many college students that believe that they're being sent out. Say, hey, Hugh, give me the name of a few of those kids. I want to I know what they're passionate about. And if they're starting some ministry, I'm going to invest in their lives. And I'm going to see what they're doing. And I'm going to invest in them now before they leave so that I'll know their story. They'll be like my kids. They'll be like my brother and my sister. And when they're leaving, I promise, I promise, as you've invested in what they're doing, it's going to be really, really hard for you to forget them when they leave. And it's going to be really easy for you to constantly be doing this, this praying and fasting and giving. The One Mission Fund will make sense because it'll be your family member that's across, across the world or across the country. So those, those are the things that I would challenge us as our responsibility. My prayer for our church is that we would continue to labor. You guys have done well. And the, and the, the reason I know that is because I'm standing here, because I don't have any, any place here. But you guys have done well to invest. And I just want to encourage you and just say thank you. 
and continue to do what you're doing. I'm going to pray for us as the, the band comes up. And we will go into the next part of our service. Father, I, I pray. I pray that as one being sent. Pray that as one being sent that you would. That you would just do a work in my heart to make myself known to my local church. That people would hear my story and I would allow them to partner. And then God, I pray for our church as we are sending multiple people out. God, I pray that we would be so close-knit that there would be no one that falls through the cracks. But that we would be a people that are so connected that we send well. And that we invest in lives. That we'd be willing to have a cup of coffee with a, a girl or a guy who has expressed interest in being sent from this local church. And that we would be overjoyed to walk them through that process. I pray for our pastors, our elders, our leaders here, that you would give them much wisdom as to how they send and how they equip. And God, I pray that 10 years from now we would be able to say that you really did multi multiply disciples to the glory of God. And that there were so many people scattered all over the globe, making much of your name and seeing more people come into your kingdom. God, we love you so much and we, we give this time to you. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. Praise things in Jesus' name, amen.